I'm going to go ahead and uh, open with a, with a word of prayer. So let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you that we uh, have this opportunity to, to look into your word, to see what it says, uh, to learn about uh, how we can grow, um, how we can uh, become more like Christ. And um, God, just what a, what a privilege it is to, to look into your word and to see the great blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us in this time, that um, it would be uh, beneficial, that it would change our lives. Um, and Lord, also, I'd, I'd like to, to pray for uh, uh, Robbie's uh, mother, I believe it was. Um, we just heard that, uh, that she's been taken to the hospital. And uh, so, Lord, we just uh, pray that you would uh, be with the doctors, that uh, you would give them wisdom. And uh, Lord, just that you would uh, have your hand of providence over that whole situation. And um, Lord, we just thank you for uh, all the goodness that you shower upon us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> well, this morning I tried to get a little bit um, technological. So um, as you can see, there's an extra window there for uh, for some stuff that hopefully will be easier because it's uh, on the screen. So if you can read it fine, you can have it with the multi windows or you can just zoom on that. Um, that'll be, uh, it'll mainly be scripture, but it'll have a, a few other points besides. So, all right. So we are continuing our uh, study of the, uh, of the application of redemption. Um, and we're going to be talking about sanctification this morning. Um, but as usual, I like to uh, begin with a little bit of review. So points we've talked about so far, um, effectual calling, regeneration, repentance, faith, union with Christ, justification, adoption. Um, so again, I like to just open it up for um, see if anybody remembers what these things are. It should be pretty basic, but, um, so effectual calling, who can, who can give me, um, just a summary statement about what effectual calling is? It's God's calling uh, on our lives to come to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at this. Um, Pastor Rick gone and I don't know. I may not, I may not get much participation this morning. <laughs> Thank you, Mark, for hopping in there. Um, maybe we'll just, uh, just run through them. Um, that way I'm not waiting forever for, people who <laughs> don't want to respond. So uh, regeneration. Um, regeneration is basically just, it's the new birth. It's uh, that we are a new creation in Christ. Um, that's what that's about. Um, repentance. Um, that's us um, turning from our sin, seeing and, and recognizing our sinful state before God and uh, turning away from our sin towards God. Uh, faith is... Um, simply the the idea of our placing our trust uh, placing all of our dependence 
on Jesus Christ for our salvation. Uh, union with Christ, um, that's us being um, made one with Christ, being joined to Christ. Um, and so uh, being in Christ, we share in all of his benefits. Um, then we talked the last couple weeks, um, a couple of um, legal aspects of uh, the application of redemption. We talked about justification. Uh, which is our being declared righteous in the sight of God. Um, basically, is him viewing us as, as righteous. Um, and then last week we talked about adoption, um, and that's us becoming children of God. And so God uh, adopts us into his family, and we become his sons and daughters. Um, so that's where we've been thus far. Um, and so then we're going to continue with sanctification this morning. So I do still want some interaction here, so hopefully I can get some some responses. But what's um, how would we define sanctification? It's a it's a term that um, I know that um, is used a lot. Um, it's probably something that all of us have a pretty good. Uh, at least rough idea of what sanctification is. Um, and, um, you know, there's there's a variety of answers that would be suitable here, but um, how would we define sanctification? Any thoughts? Well, it would be the... Uh, it's the process God uses to... Uh, make us more like him it's to sanctify us or make us more like saints mm -hmm. um it it's to it's god's process to work out the sin in our lives and really put our focus heavenward yeah yeah that's a that is a really good answer um as you can see i put up something here and it's um pretty similar to what you said um but yeah it's um the process of conformity to the law of God uh, or the image of Christ in our actual behavior. Um, that's, that's basically what we're talking about. I mean, there's all sorts of things that go into it, and we're going to kind of touch on some of those things this morning. Um, but that is basically what we're looking at. So this is, um, this is a, um, a transformative aspect of the application of redemption, um, as opposed to the, the legal aspects that we've just been looking at. I mean, we've looked at some transformative aspects before, but um, but this very much is something that it's not so much about our legal position before God as it is um, to do with the uh, the actual state of our existence, um, our, our behavior in our day-to-day -day lives, our, our walk, if you will. Um, and so that's... Um, that's really what this is. Um, it's God changing us uh, inwardly, um, making us more holy. Um, so when we talk about sanctification, um, one of the one of the things that we have to deal with is sanctification and its relation to remaining sin. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about remaining sin in the believer. Um, and some just different uh, points about that. So um, the first point is that uh, 
that remaining sin still exists in the believer. Um, it's not something that's completely eradicated. So 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are certainly people who, uh, who have taught and uh, people who in the current day teach um, that either all believers or some subset of believers um, are free from sin. Um, but John tells us that if we, if we say that we have no sin, uh, then we're deceiving ourselves. Um, John also says uh, in the next chapter there, uh, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so there you see, I mean, he's, Obviously, John is very concerned about uh, the holiness of the people that he's writing to. Um, and so he's writing to them because he doesn't want them to sin. Um, that's an important thing. But he he's not saying, well, but if you do sin, then obviously that means you're not a believer. I mean, he says some statements, makes some statements in this letter that can look that way. But if you take everything that he says here, he's like saying... Yeah, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so he's uh, presenting it as, yeah, you you will still sin, um, but that doesn't um, that doesn't just completely separate us from God when we sin as believers. Um, we still have the righteousness of Christ. Christ is still there, um, pleading our case before the Father. Um, and so our, our sin is something that still exists um, as we are believers uh, that are being sanctified. Um, now, this, this is a, a really important point, and it's a, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a point that some people do dispute. Um, so I do want to spend just a, a few minutes talking about um, just the, the, the idea of, of perfectionism or uh, complete sanctification. Those are a couple of terms that have been used. Um, and, um, I, I mean, I think the, the passages that, uh, that I've presented here, uh, should, you know, should indicate that that's not a biblical perspective. Um, but I know that just in my own experience, um, talking with various people through the years, um, I've, I've kind of come to a conclusion that um, that the teaching that uh, that Christians can be in a state where they don't sin anymore uh, has a tendency to lead to uh, one of two results. Um, and I know this is kind of an open-ended question, but I'm just part of me is curious to see if other people have observed uh, the same thing that I have. So I just want to throw out the question. What, what do you think is the result? I mean, just assuming that I'm correct and that uh, perfectionism is, is unbiblical. Um, what, what's the result when um, people spread this teaching that you can, you can live a life where you don't sin at all. Has anybody had any, experience with this, uh, conversations with people, 
uh, any or even just thinking about it, um, that uh, you got have any idea like what what types of things result uh, in people's lives when they embrace this teaching? Oh, I'm uh, talking with people who. Go ahead, yeah, I would say that it it is how underestimates God's law and the requirements of it. Then you know, essentially, I'm perfect, which you know that's the case. Okay, um, I'm assuming that was kind of choppy for everybody else. Um, I think I got, um, and you can you can try to jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, because I think we just had some some connection issues there, and it was hard to hear. But I think basically you were expressing the idea of basically people underestimating the holiness of God and basically having a, a low view of holiness and uh, basically a, a prideful attitude um, in their own heart about their own performance. Is that, is that, did I get the gist of that? I think that was Ryan that said that, wasn't it? Uh, I'm not getting comfortable. Okay, maybe he's back on. Yeah. Um, I guess we're just going to have to assume that I heard him correctly because it doesn't it doesn't sound like his connection is going to let him uh, uh, let him say that uh, repeat. So, uh, but yeah, I mean that is that is definitely right in line with one of the things that I've seen. Um, with just the idea that it, um, you know, the people basically blind themselves to their own sin um, and they can persuade themselves that they are living a perfectly righteous life, um, even though they're not, but they, they see this as something that, that can be done. And so they basically trick themselves into thinking that they are living holy lives. And it, it does uh, definitely puff people up and makes them look down on other people because like, well, I'm, I'm living perfectly. Why aren't you? Um, so it definitely leads to some very bad things there. Uh, Mark, did you have something there? Uh, no, basically similar to what you were saying and just talking with people who tend to have this view, it's they they come across very prideful, very much. I, I did this within myself. It's not giving uh, the uh, due credit to God of uh, the only righteous part of me is through God and also can be very arrogant. And then on the flip side, uh, talking with unbelievers who have had interactions with believers who view themselves as, as perfect and sinless, uh, they view us as hypocrites because of that. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Um, 
that was a, that was an aspect I hadn't really thought of, but yeah, that certainly is the case. Um, uh, unbelievers when they when they see Christians, I mean, I, I really have encountered a lot of unbelievers who, like, they think that the you know that the Christian message is basically well, everybody just needs to start living better. Um, you know, they they don't really have any notion of what the gospel is. They've just heard people say, oh, well, you should do these things and you shouldn't do these things. And they think, well, that's the Christian message is everybody should just be better. And Christians are the ones who are actually living that way. But we can see that they're not actually living that way. They're no better than us. And so they're a bunch of hypocrites. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a very good point. Um, the the uh, the other thing that I have seen um, is is basically uh, from people who are much more sensitive to the holiness of God and what the what the Word of God actually requires. Um, and if they if they think that this teaching is true, um, then it can definitely lead to a sense of of despair, of desperation, of um, just always feeling like. Um, God doesn't love them. They're always uh, just afraid of the wrath of God because they see that they still sin, um, and you know, and they they're not they're not deceiving themselves about that. And so then they they believe you know either that they must not be a Christian or um, that they uh, um, you know that they haven't reached that higher level of being a Christian. Um, I know specifically in my own experience um, that kind of these ideas were brought home to me very much um, by somebody who who was you know teaching these types of things and uh, had had gotten some followers and uh, one of his followers had you know just just through various circumstances and conversations had had come out of uh, believing in that. And I remember talking to him afterwards and he was, he expressed just how, um, how liberating it was um, that now, like when he gathered together with other believers to pray, he could tell them about his struggles with sin. Whereas he had spent uh, months or maybe years, I'm not sure, in a situation where you just couldn't do that because you had to keep up the pretense that you were living a life that was perfectly holy and sinless. Um, and so he, you know, he had been deceiving himself and, and in that way. And um, so when he finally realized this wasn't a biblical teaching, he was, you know, he was just really relieved um, and able to, you know, to share his struggles with sin with other Christians. Um, and then, uh, there was another individual uh, involved in this situation who um, basically was struggling with, you know, it's like, well, am I even a Christian? And, um, you know, and somebody asked this this individual, do you, well, do you think you're, you're a Christian? And his response was, well, I must not be because I still sin. Um, and so for, from his perspective, it was very much a, you know, one of despair. Um, because he, he had believed this false notion, um, that, uh, to be a Christian, you must be, uh, sinlessly perfect. So those are, those are kind of some, some real dangers of going that, 
direction. So um, anybody can jump in if they have any other questions or comments there. But so that's the that's the first point there is that uh, remaining sin does still exist in the Christian. Um, the next one, which is probably pretty um, self-evident, um, is that uh, remaining sin is a can uh, is a contradiction to God's holiness. So, um, also in First John, uh, chapter one, verses five through six, John says, "This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him," While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so there, I mean, we see like God is light. That's the that's the, the kind of fundamental thing. It's, you know, and um, if you ever studied the book of John, I mean, the idea there is that uh, is basically the holiness of God, his purity. Um, and so. John then is 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 looking at at us and saying, well, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we walk in uh, sinful behavior, uh, then we lie. And the reason that, that that is the case is because God himself is holy. Um, so. The but, the you know, we've already established, though, that the remaining sin in us exists it's not something that we can say that as you know that it's gone away um, and so we have this fundamental problem of we have sin within ourselves uh, but sin um, sin within ourselves is something that is contrary to God's holiness it's in contradiction to it um, and then the next point is that the remaining sin involves a conflict in the heart and life of the believer. Now, this is something that I'm sure um, all of you are familiar with. It is the it is the experience of the Christian, um, and it was the experience of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul in Romans seven, um, probably a pretty well known passage. Um, Paul there, I mean, there's there's a broader context which expresses even more of it, but just to, just to grab a few verses here, uh, chapter 7, verses 21 through 24, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So, as Paul describes himself here, um, how how does he how is he viewing um, righteousness and holiness in relation to himself? What is what is what does he say here? What does he think about the law of God and obeying it? It doesn't come naturally to him. Say it doesn't come naturally to him? Yes. Yeah. And, and what do you mean by that? 
he, he finds another law within himself is what you read that that is waging war right mm -hmm. and it's we can call this the flesh our sinful the remnant of our sinful nature that's still within us mm -hmm. yeah yeah so he's 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 got something you know still remaining in him that is making it where he's not capable of obeying the law of god but he wants to do it right i mean he he says in verse 22 i delight in the law of god in my inner being um or in verse 21 he says uh, i want to do right but yeah he has this problem that you know the evil lies close at hand there's there's a, there's a law of sin that dwells in his members um, and is, is keeping him from doing what it is that he actually wants to do. And what's, what's his response to all this? How, how does he view this situation of not being able to do what he wants to do? He needs deliverance. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body yeah. of death? Yeah. So yeah, he definitely sees, um, you know, this this problem is is just something that he just desperately wants to be uh, to be over. He he views himself as wretched because of this, and he is uh, he definitely sees his need for deliverance. Um, and then finally here. Um, the struggle uh, against sin must recognize that the power of sin is broken. Um, this is a, an important point in our fight against sin, is that we understand that the power of sin is broken. Um, and here we just go back to, to Romans chapter 6. Hopefully, there we go. Yep. Uh, we go back to Romans chapter 6. Um, where Paul uh, brings this out. So um, here's a, a somewhat lengthy section here in the uh, beginning of Romans 6. Uh, he says, uh, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So there, I mean, you know, it's, this is following on a, a whole discussion of justification by faith alone. Um, the fact that it's not based on our works that were made right before God, but it is, um, it is, completely through faith in Christ and the righteousness we have uh, by means of Christ that we're justified. And so then the question is, well, should we just continue in sin that, that grace may abound? If, you know, if God's grace is shown so greatly because he saves sinners, then should we just continue in sin? Uh, and he says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I'll just back up here just a moment. So, so um, Paul makes a, a response to the notion that, well, um, you can just keep living in sin. Um and I, I've, I've always found it absolutely fascinating that 
he raises this question that um, if you've ever taught justification by faith alone to somebody who believes in justification by works, they'll, they will raise this exact same objection. It's like, oh, well, if you say that, then why should we live holy lives at all? But I've always found it really fascinating that Paul doesn't say, um, well, sure. Um, I mean, you can, because, you know, you're justified by, by faith alone. So, you know, you, you, you can. Um, and he doesn't say, well, you better not, because, you know, then you might, you know, lose your salvation or, um, you know, that would really displease God, even though you're saved or, you know, something like that. But he, he has a, a very particular response. Um, and really, it's a response that says, you can't. I mean, it's not like, well, you, you can or you should or you shouldn't. It's no, you can't. It's just not possible. Um, and he asked the question, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? So there he's expressing the idea that um, that when we um, when we are converted, when redemption is applied to us, uh, one of the things that happens is that we die to sin. Um, this is a, a radical change that that happens in all of us. Um, and he goes on to express it in terms of union with Christ. I mean, I, I just love the fact that this passage is just is just dripping with uh, you know the notion of union with Christ uh, that we we've been baptized into Christ Jesus when we were uh, uh, we were baptized into his death, we were buried with him. Uh, we we were raised with him. I mean, it's the whole idea of like everything that Christ accomplished, everything that he is, is ours because we are in Christ. Um, and so we've died to that old way of living and um, we walk in newness of life. Um, there's at the end of, of what's on this screen, uh, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Um, and he's not there talking about um, the newness of life we will have at the resurrection. He's, he's talking about the newness of life that we have right now. Um, that this, this new life in Christ uh, changes us and makes it where we simply cannot continue to walk in sin. Um, so our, I mean, our old self was crucified with him and the body of sin is brought to nothing so that we're no longer enslaved to sin because before we were enslaved to sin, we really had no choice, uh, but to sin in our daily lives. Um, that was really all we could do, but in Christ, um, the old has been put to death and, uh, it's been brought to nothing and we are no longer enslaved to sin. Uh, just jumping down a little ways, verses 12 through 14, um, Paul there then changes from, uh, simply stating the fact to giving an exhortation. Uh, he says, 
let not sin therefore remain in your mortal body, or sorry, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So how does, how does Paul, uh, I mean, you know, Paul is obviously encouraging people. He's giving them an exhortation to live righteous lives. Now, what is that based on? What's his, what's his grounding for this? You guys see it there? In verse 13, he says to present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, right? It's the new life we have in Christ. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's basically just a summary of what we looked at, you know, from earlier in this chapter. We have new life in Christ. And uh, just saw a message that I don't understand, but I don't know enough about Jitsi. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we have new life in Christ. So the, the old is gone, the new has come. And so that is the basis of our um, living in righteousness now. Not perfect righteousness, but... Um, where sin doesn't reign in our bodies, um, and there the in uh, in verse fourteen it says, "For sin will have no dominion over you." So, you have a comment, comment, or question there? Okay, maybe that's just uh, maybe that's just noise. Okay, um, but yeah, he says, "For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law but under grace." Um, and so, I mean, obviously, ver verse fourteen requires a lot of unpacking as as to far as what it means to to not be under law but under grace. But just a just a quick summary statement is you know it's the idea that we're we're no longer um, under the law as a means of salvation, but uh, we are um, we are brought into this gracious economy um, where uh, our salvation isn't based on our obedience to the law. Um, and strangely enough, when that's the case, sin does not have dominion over you. Um, and um, I mean, and, and I really like. I find it really encouraging there in verse fourteen how it's it's really just an emphatic statement. This for sin will have no dominion over you. Um, this is not something. I mean, he does. He you know. Uh, he he does express the idea of of not letting uh, sin reign in your mortal body. And back in verse twelve, so 
that that's an exhortation. Don't basically don't let it have dominion over you. But there's also just the absolute statement: sin will have no dominion over you. And so um, Paul is presenting it there as it's something that that is being done in us that um, that God works in us. Um, as I was looking at uh, John Murray's Redemption Accomplished and Applied, he he had a really good statement um, in there that relates to this that uh, I thought was worth quoting here. Um, he said, is it, it is one thing for sin to live in us. It is another for us to live in sin. It is one thing for the enemy to occupy the capital. It is another for his defeated host to harass the garrisons of the kingdom. And so I think, I mean, that's a that's a, a good view of how we should understand the remaining sin in the believer. Um, if we're if we're living in sin, um, that's you know that's a state where uh, we don't have this struggle with sin. We're not we're not thinking about the fact that it's in opposition to God's holiness, but um, you know, and and we're not crying out, you know, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? But we're simply um, accepting it as like, yep, this is this is the way I'm living, and that's just fine. Um, so um, that that's what it is to, to live in sin. Um, but for sin to live in us, um, you know, that's something that we experience every day where, yeah, we, we see it. We are, our thoughts, our our words, our actions, uh, our affections, everything is, uh, we just see that it's in opposition to the holiness of God. And we have to fight against that. And we, we, uh, you know, it's a, it's a struggle and it's something that bothers us. Um, and you know, that's what it means for sin to live in us rather than for us to live in sin. Um, and the, you know, just the analogy of the, basically the warring people um you know if you're living in sin the enemy is occupying the the capital uh, but if you're a christian who uh you're not living in sin but sin still lives in you um there is still that defeated enemy uh that is still harassing you um that is still giving you uh problems as we walk through this christian life but of course that is where sanctification comes in and gives us more and more victory. Um, so let's let's talk about um, the agent of sanctification. Who is the agent of sanctification? Who sanctifies us? That is sort of a trick question, but... Um, we're sanctified by the is that better sorry I was getting so. feedback there yeah we are uh, sanctified by the uh, holy spirit working in us uh-huh but it's it's uh 
but at the same time, you know, there's several verses in the Bible that says, you know, we're supposed to make our calling and election sure. We're supposed to press on. Or, mm-hmm. There's all these things where it calls us to action, but right. yet it's the Holy Spirit at work in us that actually accomplishes it. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 one of those things that uh, can often trip us up, just the way that the Bible speaks of it, um, because it does very much uh, place the burden of who sanctifies on God himself. Um, but yet it also like calls us to, to live holy lives. And so we have to, we have to piece these things together and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but, um, but, but yeah, so like I said, it is a trick question, but you, you got the, you got the, the right answer. Um, but yeah, it is God that sanctifies us specifically the Holy spirit. Um, so, uh, first Thessalonians, uh, five twenty three. um, uh, Paul says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there we see that, I mean, Paul is praying that God himself would sanctify uh, the people of Thessalonica. So obviously Paul is understanding that it is the work of God to sanctify. And then more specifically in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, He says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. And so there he is explicit that it is the it is the work of the Holy Spirit um, in sanctifying us, in making us uh, live lives that are uh, that are holy. Now, if it is God who does it, we can definitely say that it is a certain thing. Um, sanctification is certain. There's, there's, a, there's no way that somebody can be justified, um, declared righteous before God, and then fail to be sanctified. Um, you know, the reformers were famous for saying that justification is by faith alone, but it is not by faith that is alone. Um, it is always accompanied by works. So um, the the certainty of our sanctification is guaranteed, number one, uh, because it is predestined. Um, this is a passage that's come up numerous times uh, as we've looked at the application of redemption. Uh, Romans 8.29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what specifically does it say uh, that, uh, that we are predestined to? You often hear of you know, being predestined to salvation, but uh, Paul is, is very specific about exactly what we're predestined to in this passage. Well, it's to be conformed to the image of his son. And so that's that's a very simple description of uh, being sanctified. It, it's the process of we're, con- uh, we're predestined to become more like Christ. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Just a simple statement of what sanctification is. It is being conformed to the image of Christ. And so that is uh, what we are predestined to. And so if, if God predestines us to, conformity to the image of Christ, if he predestines us 
to sanctification, um, then it's absolutely guaranteed um, that God is going to sanctify us. Um, another thing that guarantees it is that we have a new nature. Um, in 1 John, John says, First uh, John 3, 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And so there we see uh, just the idea of regeneration, which we talked about uh, several weeks back. Um, and we, we just, we have this new nature. And so it, it cannot, we cannot keep on sinning. Um, and again, the idea here is that we can't just keep on living in sin. Not that we, not that we can't sin at all. Uh, again, the, the, um, the error of perfectionism. Um, but yeah, it's, we, we will be sanctified. Uh, the, this new nature just guarantees that that is the case. Um, it is also uh, spirit guaranteed back in uh, Romans 8, uh, 12 through 14. Paul says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so there, I mean, we see that it's it's by the Spirit that we are to be putting to, to death the deeds of the body. And uh, and we, we see a little hint of, of what uh, Ben mentioned there, just the 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 kind of the duality in the fact that that we are working in the midst of our sanctification. Um, so, you know, it is us who is putting to death the deeds of the body, but it is by the spirit. So it's the spirit who's doing it. Um, but, but Paul is, is contrasting basically two choices here, uh, two, two paths, two ways of life. Um, and one of them leads to life and one of them leads to death. Um, it is the life of the of the believer and the unbeliever, the the regenerate and the unregenerate, uh, the saved and the not saved. And if you're in that category of the saved, the regenerate, the believer, um, then you are putting to death the deeds of the body. Um, and that's clear from verse 14, because he says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Um, so very much the idea is that if you are a son of God, you're being led by the spirit. And if you're being led by the spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Um, unfortunately, this is, this is often uh, misunderstood uh, to have a, a, a different idea about what it means to be led by the spirit. And people have all sorts of ideas about God, um, but you know the Holy Spirit basically whispering to them and and leading them to to do this or that or the other thing, um, but really the idea here uh, to be led by the Spirit of God is to be led to be putting to death the deeds of the body. The Spirit is sanctifying us, so that guarantees um, our sanctification. Finally, um, I want to talk about the uh, the means of sanctification. Um, and here's where we really get into um, 
the the whole issue of of basically God's working and our working. Um, Philippians chapter two verses twelve through thirteen. This is kind of the classic passage on this. Um, it says, "Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence." Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, Paul is giving an exhortation here, right? He's telling people, uh, he's telling the, 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 the people of Philippi uh, that they are to work out their salvation. Um, but he, he grounds it in verse 13. Um, he, he grounds it by stating what God is doing. So what, what is it specifically that God is doing, um, that should be a motivation as it were for us to be working out our salvation? Well, he is working in us, so he is he's doing all the heavy lifting. Like he is, yeah. he is doing the sanctifying. So we shouldn't be discouraged because it's not in our own power mm -hmm. that it's being done. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it it really is. I mean, we are just completely dependent on the work of God um, for our sanctification. Um, it is not in our own power. Uh, we just have to rely on God for it. Um, but does that mean that um, we, as the phrase is, should just let go and let God, that we should um, not make any effort in our sanctification? What do you think? Well, it says work out your own salvation. Mm -hmm. So, no. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it, again, it's it's uh, somewhat difficult to put it together exactly. But, um, but yeah, we are to work it out. We're actually, you know, commanded to, um, and of course, you don't, you don't want to understand this as being like work for your salvation. Uh, but this is in terms of, of sanctification, uh, in terms of you are already a justified person. You, you are saved and you are being saved. And you're going to work that out in your sanctification. Um, but you're commanded to do that. You don't just sit back and say, oh, well, God's working in me, so I can just kick back and let him work in me. Um, you actually have to work. Um, you have to strive for holiness. But but Paul is just grounding it by saying, but it's God that works in you. And... Uh, He's even a little bit more explicit right there at the end of verse 13 in stating exactly uh, what it is that God is working in you. So what, what are the things that God is working in you here? He creates the will and to work for yeah. his good pleasures. I mean, it's what it, we wouldn't even have the desire to work for his pleasure or to obey without God working in us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's just, 
it's just fascinating how basically Paul just kind of covers all the bases here um, because it's not just that, well, God's causing you to want to, to be sanctified, but then it's up to you to do it. And it's not the flip side either, where it's like, well, it's up to you to want to do it. But if you want to, then then God enables you to do it. Uh, both your wanting, your will, and your doing are both uh, a product of the work of God. God is working in you. Um, and that is what is causing you to want to be sanctified. And that is what is enabling you to actually do the things that are according to God's holy law. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating statement of, of basically of, of God working in us um, while we ourselves are still, you know, putting forth the effort uh, for sanctification. Um, John Murray um, again has a, a pretty neat quote. It's, it's, some of, some of his writing is a little hard to follow, so I'm hoping this isn't too tough, but it is a little tougher of a statement to follow, but it's I think it's worth looking at here. Um, so he says, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor are working suspended because God works. And so that's just the idea that like um, the suspended is... is is maybe a, the the word that makes it a little hard. So it's not it's not like we're saying that uh, you know God's work in us doesn't matter or it doesn't happen because we're working. Well, we're working, therefore it can't be God working in us. Um, and nor is it the other way where um, you know we are not really working because God is the one who's working. It's it's both. Um, he goes on neither in. Uh, in the uh, relation or, or neither, neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation as if God did his part and we did ours uh, so that the conjunction or coordination of both produced the required result. Uh, God works in us and we also work, but the relationship is that because God works, we work. And it's kind of unfortunate that the italics didn't come through there. Um, but the 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 because in that last sentence should be italicized. Uh, that's the way Murray wrote it. So the relation is that because God works, we work. So uh, both of us are working, but it's not partnership really. It's it's really like God is the the origin and source of it, and uh, our working is the is the result. He goes on. Um, he says, all working out of salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us, uh, not the willing to the exclusion of the doing and not the doing to the exclusion of the willing, but both the willing and the doing. And this working of God is directed to the end of enabling us to will and to do that which is well-pleasing to him. And so that, that is kind of just like what we talked about before where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just that, you know, that God is, is, you know, changing our wills, but then we're doing it or not just that, uh, we're willing and then God is helping us do it. Uh, but you know, that, that God is active in both of those things, both in the willing and the doing, 
to enable us to will and to do that which is uh, well-pleasing to him. Um, any thoughts or, or questions? I mean, I think one of the most practical things that can come out of this is that any all sanctification really should begin with prayer, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be going to God, asking him to work in us. I mean, not that he won't do it if we don't pray, but just recognizing our need, that fear and trembling coming mm -hmm. forward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. that is, if, if we, if we realize um, how, how short we fall of the holiness of God and we realize our own inability to do anything about it and our, you know, our great need of God to work it in us, then that really should uh, cause us to, to just be full of prayer for our sanctification. And um, that also guards us against uh, being puffed up with pride when we do, um, you know, live in some manner in accordance with the law of God. Um, because we recognize that it really is just the the product of God's grace in us, not of our of our own moral superiority. And I would also add to that that um, for those that are really struggling and wrestling, and maybe even feel hopeless, uh, to know that this is God, something that God is doing. You know, mm -hmm. and they can take that to the bank. Yeah. And so when you sort of feel like, you know, I'm I'm wrestling in my faith. I don't know, you know, uh, if I have any hope and stuff like that. We we can, but that hope's not in us and in our own work and stuff. And I think just like we can get discouraged in our own vocation because sometimes work is hard. You know, it, it's in a lot of the same ways. The same way with sanctification as well. But as Katie said, God gives us that strength. And uh, so anyway, it can be very encouraging as well as addressing our pride. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is kind of just um, kind of like on all these topics, just kind of scratch the surface and just kind of hit some of the high points of the doctrine of sanctification. Um, but uh, hopefully that's been a, a helpful look at this particular um, aspect of the application of redemption. So um, it is almost 10 o'clock. Let's go ahead and uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your work in us. We thank you that you um, not only uh, save us from your wrath, but that you uh, deliver us from the power of sin and you change us uh, from the inside out. Um, that it is not um, dependent on our own ability to follow you, uh, but Lord, uh, by the great working of your infinite power, uh, your Holy Spirit changes us and conforms us to the image of Christ. And Lord, we desire to uh, reflect our elder brother in, um, in every aspect of our being. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would continue that process, that you would strengthen and encourage us to uh, go through all of the, the trials that we must in order to be sanctified. And uh, Lord, just that you would perfect the people for yourself, that we would be uh, holy without blemish. And um, Lord, that you would receive all the glory for the work you do in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
All right. Thank you, everyone.